author of nine books in the Napoli series, including Unnapoli in Love, Napoli in Bloom, and now on Netflix, Napoli Ever After. She has just published a new book, What Passes as Love. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Before we talk about what passes as love, I'm wondering if I could ask you about your path as a writer. You are amazingly prolific. How did you get started writing? I always wanted to write. I'm sure you hear that a lot, but I um, had an opportunity to stay home with my children for the first time when they were pretty young, probably eight and five, something like that. And that was the first thing I did was sit down at the computer and just started writing. And I wrote this horrible mystery thriller and I finished it. It was, it was probably 270 pages, something like that. And, and my husband was like, okay, that was good. (laughs) That was like, that was sweet of you to say, now let's try this again. And I sat down and, um, I don't, uh, you know what? I don't know if the, if Napoli Ever After was my second try. It might have been my third, but I went to this conference and the keynote speaker was um, this really wonderful woman that lived in the Appalachians, and she said, "Just write what you know." And I and I sat there, and this light went off in my head, and I said, "I know hair. That is my life." Um, I just went home. I remember just gunning it, writing nonstop day and night, waking up at five o'clock in the morning. And I probably had like 50 pages before I started sending it out to an agent or multiple agents. And they would all write me back and tell me, yeah, that's nice, but this isn't a romance or this isn't, you know, whatever they were looking for. And so I would just go at it again. Well, let me do it. It was a hodgepodge and a mess. And, you know, I even went towards nonfiction. I said, well, this is more a story about the history of hair and how we came to have black women, how we came to believe our hair was our crowning glory and everything else. And so that that's just how that that adventure began. I just kept going at it in all these different angles and and finally, I, I finally got an agent to say yes, but that's how it all started. I mean, I just kept going. Pretty soon you had nine books in the series. That's impressive. <laughs> I did. The first book um, came out with pretty much a bang because Halle Berry, an Oscar-nominated actress, wanted to option it before it had even been printed. You know, Netflix wasn't even a thing you know, when I signed that contract. So having it filmed, I showed up at the set in Atlanta and, you know, watched them do, you know, maybe a week's worth of filming. And I was like, my, 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 I'm glad I'm not in this business, but um, it was exciting nonetheless to see them, you know, speak the words that I had written all that, all that time 
before all that time ago and see it come into film. So it was really exciting. Let's talk about your latest book, What Passes as Love. Can you, first of all, just tell us briefly what the book is about? Um, it's, a, it's a big change from my contemporary stories. Um, what Passes as Love is a historical novel set in the 1850s to 1860s. And it's about Dahlia Holt, who is a little girl growing up on a plantation. She is a slave. She kind of drives herself crazy because she assumes she's supposed to be more than she is. And she's taken into that house to live with her uh, father, who is also the plantation owner, at the, at the behest of Mother Rose, who sees her, her light, lighter skin and doesn't want her to be raised outside of the home. She wants her raised in the, in the house, but she's still a house girl. And the girls that she's meant to um, serve are her sisters. And so it kind of has this little bit of a Cinderella feel, but how can you do that in a slave setting? And believe me, I know it, it sounds almost like slavery is such a serious and arduous and it's a, it's a horrific time. But I held in my heart while I was writing this story that we survived and if everything had been, you know, life or death, this was life. And I wanted to show Dahlia Holt um, grow up and take her life by the reins and just go forward and find her freedom. And that's what I wrote. This this young woman, she's she's um, only 16 when she ventures out and, and decides that she's going to try to live on her own terms, which means sneaking off, running away um, in the city market when they're supposed to be, you know, on a shopping trip. But she wants to see if it's really true that she looks just like her sisters, but she's still a slave. And so when she gets out and, you know, people are greeting her and nodding and hello, she realizes she really can pass for a young white woman. And so she does. And she meets these two British young men that are brothers who seemingly accept this at face value. Oh, you're a young woman alone. Um, and they, they um, are enthralled by her and decide to take her on their journey, which is back to their mansion. And um, one of them decides that she will become his wife. And so this begins this new adventure for her and not such a pleasant one that she almost wishes she was back at the plantation where she started. So that's, that's the story. This book was so impressive in that I think you really managed to, you know, capture the true like cruelty and the psychological contradictions in how in the world people manage to keep this system going such a, a really nuanced way with each of the characters that is one of the things that I had to address is that no one in my family wanted to hear that this book was you know being written because no one likes slavery and everybody wants to support me but uh, sorry 
this one I'm going to pass on. And I'm like, this is going to be different because, you know, I wanted, it's like, it was a balance. I wanted to be upfront with the brutality and, you know, not shy away from it. But I also, it's like those videos that we have to keep watching of this, of, 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 you know, of George Floyd being beaten and killed. And, you know, so we know it's going on, but we don't have to keep seeing it up front, you know, like I, I just, I wanted to tell the story and limit the amount of brutality, but not shy away from the brutality. So it was a fine balance Uh, I had to keep. I mean, I know that, that writers use their imagination, but it seemed like you really did a lot to bring that time period to life. How did you do it? Thank you. That is a wonderful, very wonderful thing to say. I researched, I did a lot of research and, and, and I don't say, you know, research solves everything. You do have to have an imagination. You do have to put yourself in those shoes. And I did that a lot. And I spent a lot of time in tears um, in this story and I just walked her shoes and I just imagined every step that she took and, and, and felt everything she felt. And I just, I did my best to put it into words and put it into the page. The story was based in part on actual people. Yes. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. There were, there was a photograph, right? With three sisters. Yes, the the three little girls that I found. I was actually already, you know, determined to write this story. So um, looking through the archives and finding these old pictures of, of um, you know, historical pictures from, from plantations and pictures of, of actual slaves was part of that. And I found a picture of three little girls who were so beautiful and they had pretty dresses and bonnets and capes and pretty shoes and stockings. And, and, it, and I read at the bottom and it said three emancipated slave sisters in 1861. And I'm just in shock because they're every bit as, you know, white as, I mean, they looked like little girls that I went to school with, you know, they were, they were just um, unbothered. And so I thought, who are these little girls? What have they been through? Who raised them? Why are they in these beautiful dresses if they are slaves? And just, you know, I became enthralled with the the whole storyline of Dahlia Holt, this one little girl which, you know, in the picture, all three of them are very beautiful little girls, but one of them in particular looked more ethnic, more black than the other two. And so I imagined how she would feel being raised with those two sisters. And so I kind of separated them out. And, you know, and I did the research on, you know, one of the biggest plantations in in Virginia, and that was um, the Holt family. And so I just kind of like meshed, you know, a few, a few different historical events and a few different characters together to create my story. So it wasn't particularly about one, you know, family, but kind of just, you know, pushed all these different things together that I, that I researched and passing and, you know, um, 
becoming someone else was just, it, it was the norm. It was the norm. And I don't think it's a stretch to say people don't do it anymore. I just think, you know, they may not uh, have to be running for their lives. <laughs> you know, you know, it's just one thing that, you know, slaves, some slaves that could do if they were light enough, if their hair was silky enough, they could intertwine themselves in this life and, and separate. And, and so that's, that's the character that I created because I just thought, what a fly on the wall she will be in this world you know, of, and in of, both worlds, right? Like it, part, that's part of the the great thing about the novel is that she really occupies both of those worlds and gets to see both of them from the inside. From the inside, and isn't that interesting? It's something it really that is. you always wish you could do and be in both worlds and see what people are saying. Some of it was hurtful, but she, you know, she grew with every step of the way. One of the things I really appreciated about the book was that it explored what freedom meant to different characters. And I particularly appreciated how Dahlia manages to escape slavery by marrying and passing as white, but that doesn't necessarily look very much like liberation in the end. Yes, I really wanted to go down that road that um, she was exchanging one type of subjugation for another. But of course, there's nothing worse than slavery. But I just wanted to show that she was sacrificing her family and the people that she loved for this other life. And um, it still wasn't what she wanted. Mm -hmm. And so it became this story of freedom has its own determination. What, what will you give for that? So I really wanted to focus on what we exchange, what we give in, in our determination to be somewhere else or to give up, you know, move forward. The title, What Passes for Love, suggests that love may not be what we think it is. So the title, What Passes as Love, suggests that love may not be what we think it is. I'm wondering, since you've also written contemporary love stories, how do you think that love in that time period, given those circumstances, was different than love in this time period? Or was it? In, in a way of being property, she didn't know love. She really didn't. And so um, I think what we have now, you know, being interpreted as love, <laughs> it's very, it's very um, animated. You know, what do you see on television? What do you, what are you getting on your social media? You know, what are you told to believe love is? And then, and at that time, she had to figure it all out herself. In a lot of romance novels and fairy tales, the heroine's fate is connected to her beauty. But the heroine in this novel is very beautiful, but that's not the key to her freedom or her fate. No one's ever told her she's beautiful. No one's ever said, I love you. Um, she is 
truly someone making her own way and, and, and deciphering all of these codes and signals and trying to understand men and women. And, you know, once she leaves that plantation where she was raised in a very isolated world, she is on a fast track of growing up really quickly. And she does. She rises to the occasion. What is it that you think makes her able to be such a strong character? Being as naive as she is plays actually to her strength because she's not afraid. She hasn't really experienced anything. I mean, we are, I think we are all just the summation of our memories and of our past events. And because hers are so, um, I mean, because her memory of things and her experiences are so small, she's open. She's open to experience everything for the first time and her fears are, are, are very limited. She, she's not been treated too unkindly. And besides, you know, her sisters and her living, you know, within those four walls of the Vestafield mansion, she doesn't have anything to go on and nothing's been done to hurt her to the point where she's expecting more hurt. She's actually thinking, wow, this world is owes me big and I'm going to take some of it. And that's what she does fearlessly. The separation of families under slavery that you describe in the opening chapters is so heart-wrenching. Yes. Do you see any parallels between what happened in that time period and the violence that people had to try to survive under and what is happening at present? Is there any way in which the, the past is still present? It is, absolutely. And um, that's why watching everything that was still going on drove me to finish the book because I knew slavery wasn't the fun um, setting. You know, all my other books were contemporary, fun, kind of light, you know, drama, but even called funny. And this was none of those things, but I was, you know, propelled forward because I couldn't keep ignoring everything that was going on and how the parallels continue with, um, you know, African-Americans being treated as second-class citizens. And, you know, it just, it, it just never stops, never stopped. And so I just couldn't keep ignoring, you know, wanting to write this story and wanting to tell it. And, and it wasn't hard to, you know, put it into perspective because it was still going on. It's still going on. Um, you know, I think the only thing that's changed really is, is that we have laws, but a lot of people still feel the way they feel, still feel that, um, because you know the color of your skin dictates you don't have the same um, value and the same rights and the same um, 
strength and intelligence, everything you can list and name, you know, you're underneath that. And so I just wanted to really, you know, go full on into it and, and just, it wasn't hard to describe because it's still going on. And, you know, I, I've been raised in a pretty middle-class area. I, I grew up in San Diego, California, and I really hadn't experienced racism until I, you know, left the nest, went to college. I mean, I was uh, I considered a, a, a lucky specimen to not see um, a lot of the damage that was going on in the world until my later years, but it was, it's still there nonetheless, and it still hurts nonetheless, you know, you just can't ignore it. And so I just, it, I just thought it was time, you know, to write this story. And, and I wasn't, you know, trying to, you know, my first priority was to tell the story, but I wasn't going to ignore the realities that are going on. And, you know, a lot of people don't want to hear it, don't want to see it, don't want to read it, but that's not my concern. I wanted to write my story. What do you hope that readers will come away thinking about after reading What Passes as Love? You know, when I first um, finished it, I felt braver and stronger and, and you know, resilient and just like, it was a, a, a relief of epic proportion that I just felt alive. And that's what I want for the, my reader to feel like this journey was hard. It was worth it. But my gosh, I'm stronger. I'm better. I'm a better human being. I don't know if that's a, a lot to ask for from one little book. But that's, that's what I hoped, you know, readers would come away with. If people want to find your books and also more about you, where can they go? Um, they can go on TrishaRThomas.com. Trisha is spelled with S-H-A and not C-I-A. I've had that <laughs> my whole life. So it's TrishaRThomas.com and all the links are there. You can email me. You can find out where the books are. They're everywhere, of course. Um, anywhere books are sold so it's out they're out there thank you so much for being on the show thank you Suzanne thank you so much for having me it was so much fun today my guest has been Trisha R. Thomas author of multiple books including Napoli Ever After and she's been talking today about her latest book What Passes as Love I am Suzanne Legrand, and this is Disobedient Femmes. Each week, I bring you interviews with women writers, artists, and activists who are reimagining the world. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and let us know what you think by leaving a comment. Thanks so much for listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah.